Wow, so uh, Oscar season, when, when that comes around, uh, be looking for that short film. Um, hey, we decided to uh, be a little goofy this week, and, and, and while that is a silly, obviously that's a silly uh, example, um, often not so far off the mark. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this uh, opportunity to, to, to worship you, to, to sit before your word. And Lord, as we, as we look at Romans chapter 12, we pray that your word would speak to us as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we all, judging by uh, the laughter, uh, we, we all see kind of the ridiculousness of hiring a personal trainer and then watching the trainer do uh, the work and then complaining that we ourselves are not changing. Um, we see the, the, the limitation and the futility of living as a spectator and living as a consumer, and yet that's the exact broken church model many of us have come to expect and embrace. Um, the, the reality is um, when we gather together, let's take this Sunday as an example, like when, when we gather together today, uh, did we gather with the sense of uh, I've come to serve or to be served? Uh, did we gather today saying I wonder what God's going to do for me today? better be something because I woke up early on a Sunday or do we gather saying how can I bless God today how can I serve God today? when we gather today and we say man I hope man I hope Sunday school's good and and everybody showed up for I hope um, I, I wonder if that church has a singles ministry I wonder if that church has a uh, has a great kids program or do we gather like saying what can somebody do for me or do we gather with a sense of how can I serve other people. Just like consumerism will destroy uh, physical fitness, by, judging by the video, um, consumerism will destroy and is destroying uh, our spiritual fitness. A, a sense of consumerism and entitlement is destroying the soul of the American church. Um, you know, we've been trained by our consumerist culture to evaluate everything. We evaluate, I mean, we evaluate stuff nobody even asked us to evaluate, right? Like somebody does something and like nobody asks our opinion, but we still feel the need to go out on social media and share our opinion. Nobody asks for our opinion, but we're going to evaluate it, right? Except, but the thing we don't evaluate is the one thing that God's word tells us to evaluate, and that's our own heart. Search me, oh God, try me, show me if there's anything uh, in me that, that, that's, that's not right. And, 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 and so consumers, a consumerist mindset evaluates everything but our own heart. And, and, and this, this consumerism has infected the church, and, and, and it's infected our society. And the only way forward is the same way forward as it's always been, and that's to repent and believe. So repent of our sin, repent of our consumerism, and turn and trust in Christ and, and believe that Jesus is enough and Jesus is better. I want to read to you from um, Francis Chan's book, um, Letters to the Church. Now, we heard about uh, two great studies coming starting next Sunday at 9.30, uh, The Gospel and Race, as well as uh, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. The third study that's starting next Sunday morning is... Um, is a study of letters to the church. And, and Francis Chan writes this. He says, God wants you to resemble his son, especially when you gather with your church family. Do you show up to gatherings looking to serve? As some of you read that question, you feel burdened like a weight was just placed on you. You already live a busy life. You want the church gathering to be a place of rest where you can be fed. If you think that sitting back and letting others feed you will bring you the most fulfillment, you are so wrong. 
God promised that those who give will be the most blessed. Acts 20 verse 35 says it's more blessed to give than to receive. He says takers are the most miserable people on earth. It's our ability, it's our inability to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto others that destroys us. This is what Jesus saves us from. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The most humble people are typically the happiest. Imagine gathering with a group of people who are trying to outserve one another. That's exactly what Romans 12 is going to tell us about today. Imagine gathering with a group of people who are trying to outserve one another. Um, have you ever been in a room filled with humble people who count others more significant than themselves? It's anything but burdensome. When servants gather together, everyone is built up. No one hates consumerism more than God. Because that mentality keeps the church from having the vibrancy he intended. Don't give up on the dream. Listen, he says, don't give up on the dream. The church does not have to remain a group of needy people complaining they haven't been fed well enough. It really can become a group of servants who thrive in serving. Don't give up on the dream. The church does not have to be needy people saying, what has anybody done for me lately? The church can be a group of servants who are devoted to serving God and serving one another and finding joy and thriving in that serving. Now, just as an example of that, I think about Steve Turpin. Many of you know Steve. He's, he's confined to a wheelchair. He has one leg. And every Wednesday night, he serves in our children's ministry here. He's, um, I don't, I don't want to misquote his age, but, but he's up there, okay? He was the first wedding here. Uh, his wedding was the first wedding in this chapel in, in 1958, okay? So uh, he's He's been around. And, and Steve was admitted to the hospital Wednesday night for pneumonia. And he called, and then I went and saw him the next day, and he apologized. Please forgive me that I didn't do my job. I was supposed to be there Wednesday night. I was supposed to be there serving, and I wasn't there. Like, like, like he has one leg, and he's in constant pain, and he had pneumonia. He has every excuse not to serve. And he's not patting himself on the back. He's like, the, he's like Luke 18. He's like, I'm just a slave and I'm just doing what I was told to do. And I'm so sorry that I, I'm supposed to be serving and I'm not. Like, that's the model. Not what's the least that I can do and get by, but how can I serve? So for the last 11 chapters in Romans, Paul has laid out this incredible theology. He's laid out this picture that the gospel is good news that, that Jesus says that that gospel rescues us. Whenever that message is announced, we get rescued from sin. We get rescued from our slavery to sin and our and our cycles. Um, he's, he's, he's talked to us about God's righteousness, that God in Christ has been faithful to all of God's promises that he made in the Old Testament, and that Jesus has fulfilled everything the law and the prophets pointed to. And, and he's talked about that, that by this work of Jesus on the cross and through the res resurrection, we can have a relationship with God, but we can also be made part of this new worldwide global family of, uh, of all the races and ethnicities and, and economic statuses, and, and we can all uh, be united together by this faith in Jesus Christ and in light of all of that that he said in light of the sovereign mercy that he's talked to us about in Romans 9 10 and 11 in light of this incredible severity and and kindness of God that he's talked to us about in light of this uh, wonder of God that, that just at the end of Romans 11 he just broke out in worship and said oh the 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 the, the depth of God's wisdom and riches and he says in chapter 12 verse 1 he says therefore because of everything that he said, he shifts gears to, now this is how God calls us to live. This is how God calls us to live in light of the gospel. See, Paul wants us to know where we would go if we died tonight. 
but he also wants us to know how we can live tomorrow if we don't die tonight. Like it's, an, it's important to know where we're going to go if we die tonight, but it's also really important. The gospel tells us not just where we're going to go if we die tonight. The gospel tells us how we can live if we don't die tonight. And I love the way the New Testament is laid out. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you've got Acts. You've got, you've got the gospel told from these four perspectives, the story of Jesus told from these four perspectives, and then you've got Acts. You've got the story of how the gospel turns the world upside down through the church. The church doesn't just receive the gospel and then say, man, that was really great. The church receives the gospel and then does something with it. The gospel leads to Acts. If we believe something, we live that. So we, we say what we think, but we do what we believe. And the New Testament tells us that belief drives behavior. And how we're living our lives reveals what we really believe. And the gospel has an impact on how we live. It drives how we live. Um, and so what we want to see today in, in, in Romans 12 is, is Paul's going to talk to us about God's family and what it means to be members of God's family. That word member is, it means a bodily organ, and he uses that word several times in Romans 12. That's our word for today. What's it mean to be a member of God's family? And, and God's family members, we're going to see, have transformed relationship with God, with one another, and with the outside world. And so the first thing to see, uh, God's, uh, members of God's family have a new relationship with God. Let's dive into Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul says, I urge you, I appeal to you, I, I come alongside of you, I, I, I call on to you to have courage, I exhort you, I, I encourage you. He says, therefore, based on everything that he said, by God's mercies, in light of this incredible sovereign mercy of God that, that, that he saves, not based on what we deserve, but, but on, on his, his incredible sacrifice on the cross, he says, brothers and sisters, he's, he's reminding us that in Christ we're family. Regardless of our ethnicity or how much money we have in the bank, we're family. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by God's mercies, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now we've heard this, I hope we've heard this verse a lot. This is a verse that's really a good verse to memorize. It was a memory verse this week. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, if we think about that term sacrifice, this would have been a vivid image for people from a Jewish background. They would have thought about the Old Testament temple. They would have thought about especially that day, uh, that one day out of the year when the high priest would go in and he would sling the blood on the altar. Pagans would have thought about, they would, they would have had sacrificial imagery in their minds too, of blood sacrifices offered to pagan gods. And, 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 and when Paul uses this idea of sacrifice, one thing that we can see is that worship, while orderly, can be messy. So if you ever think about what the Old Testament Holy of Holies would have looked like after year after year after year of blood being poured on the altar, I think about, you know, we, we feed our dogs raw chicken, and, and I think about like when the deep freeze goes out and you open it up and there's all that bloody chicken in there, it's nasty, it's stinky. Worship, we expect worship to be, and we expect relationships to be tidy and to be sanitary. But worship is messy. 
If, if you've got a walk with Christ, that means there's going to be times that your walk with Christ is messy. There's going to be times that your walk with other people is messy. There's going to be times that walk, your, your walk with your spouse is messy. There's going to be times that you're going to be in situations and maybe you're ministering to people that you don't know all the answers to. Life with God is not as sanitary as we would like for it to be if it's real life. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's noticed that he says, present your bodies. A lot of us, maybe we, we prayed a prayer one time and we asked Jesus into our heart. You know, and there is some scriptural basis. Uh, you know, Ephesians talks about the, that Jesus wants to dwell in your heart by faith. But, but that phrase of ask Jesus into your heart really isn't a, a biblical phrase. A biblical phrase is follow Jesus as Lord, okay? The problem is a lot of us invited Jesus into our heart and we looked at that as kind of this personal exchange between us and God that was private. And the problem is maybe we invited him into our heart but we didn't invite him into our mind and we didn't invite him into our mouth and we didn't invite him into our hands and we didn't invite him into our, our feet and we didn't invite him into our attitude. And so Paul says when he says present your bodies to God, he's saying offer all of yourself to God every molecule of your existence you present it and this is an ongoing thing day after day after day just broken before God the word here really that describes what Paul's describing is surrender will you surrender will you surrender your life to God how many times every day God, I trust you with this next hour. God, I trust you with this next... If you're struggling with addiction or you're struggling with a relationship issue or you're struggling with an attitude, like that's going to require daily surrendering your life to God, daily trusting in God's grace, daily calling on His help. And what happens is we daily trust Him. His change starts to happen. What he's describing here is worship and, and, and part of, to, to be members of God's family, members of God's family are marked and characterized by worship. And so worship includes what we do here, which is so important. This is the huddle. Um, you know, if you watch a football game, the huddle is important, right? Those that still have a huddle, it's important, all right? But if they stay in a huddle all the time, that team's not going to get very far, right? So we, the huddle's important. But it's also important that we go run the play that we called in the huddle. And so when we gather here in this huddle, this huddle matters, and this huddle's important. But then Monday through Saturday, we go and we run the play, and that's important. And then we come back here, and we huddle back up, and we make a big deal out of Jesus together. And then we go out, and we run the play, and so worship happens here together. Worship also happens uh, just you and God, just you and Jesus together as you abide in Christ. You know, my wife's kind of funny. She, even though we, uh, we, uh, we see each other every day, there's times that she wants to have just alone time together. Can you believe that? She wants to just, I know you're like, she wants to be alone with you. That's weird. But no, suspend your disbelief. For she wants to like go out on a date every now and then. You know, I want to spend personal time with her. I, I don't say, well, you know, every day's Valentine's Day. You know what? No, we want to spend time together. And, and, and look, the, the creator of the universe wants to spend time with you. Isn't that amazing? Like he wants to spend personal quality time with you. And so worship happens here together. Worship happens between you and Jesus. And then worship happens when you go to the dentist. Worship happens when you go to the grocery store. Worship happens when you go to work. Worship happens when you go to school. Worship happens as a lifestyle what we do here and what we do out there is ascribing worth to someone. We're either ascribing worth to ourselves or to God. And that was Paul's whole point back in Romans 1, remember, is that sin is a worship problem. Sin 
is inverted worship. Sin happens when I worship myself or something evil or even something good, but I, but, but I worship that thing instead. I give worth and glory and honor first place to something that's not God. So as we go about our lives, members of the body of Christ are known by and marked by worship. And Paul's talking about this daily present your bodies. Present your whole person as a living sacrifice. You, if you know Jesus, you died with Christ, you, were, you rose again with him, and now we're this living sacrifice. Every day, God, how can I honor you today? It may be messy, but it's an act of surrender. Worship fuels transformation. And he goes on to say, don't be, verse two, don't be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips' translation says, don't let this world press you into its mold. Don't be conformed to this world. He says, but be transformed. Conformity is this picture of this outward process where we're shaped by the age or the world around us. We're being transformed is where we get that word metamorphosis, where we're changed from the inside out, where, where, where our heart changes. And, 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 and he says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So notice that Paul brings in these two verses, he brings body and mind together. He says, if, if the gospel grabs your life, your thinking is going to change and your actions are going to change. I can't say that I'm a gospel person. I can't say that I'm a, a Jesus worshiper if my thinking and my actions remain the same. If my thinking and my actions uh, are not uh, in the process of transforming, I have a gospel problem. I have a worship problem. It says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. The expected result of this message that Jesus is king is that lives are transformed. But I'm afraid we've come to the point where we're surprised when anyone's transformed. And we kind of expect people just to stay the same. Hey guys, we're, we're selling God short. We're selling the gospel short. Transformation is what happens when people surrender to the gospel. That happens over time. That's a process. God's transforming things in me today that, he, that I didn't even know about last year. But change is happening. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. That transformation is a new heart from the inside out. It's a, it's a passive verb. And so, uh, in other words, this isn't something that I do. I don't just get up and transform myself. I am transformed by someone else. But it's also an imperative. It's a command. He's commanding you and me to be transformed. And so, how can I be commanded to do something that has to be done to me? Well, the, the idea here is... You can either cooperate with the process or you, can, or you can oppose the process. God's job is to transform. But your job and my job is will we cooperate? Will we participate in that process? Will I, will I feed uh, God's word to my mind and heart or will I feed other junk to it? It's a continual process, and our bodies and our minds are transformed. Our thinking and our doing is transformed. You know, I never thought, regardless, you know, I never thought I would spend a weekend with my family praising Jesus along with to a Kanye West album. Never thought I would see the day that that would happen. You know, as I sat around the dinner table last night, I said uh, to the kids, uh, I said, you know, uh, uh, particularly I was talking to Ethan and, and Addie and Alma, and I said, you know, y'all know who this guy, what do you think of this music we've been listening to all day? Oh, I really like it. This is really good. I said, you know who Kanye West is? Oh, no, he's a guy that likes to sing about Jesus. Well, do you know what he was like before? 
You know what his, his music was vulgar and it was all about him and he made a big deal out of himself. But now he's, he said he's been born again and he's singing about Jesus. He's on national television saying Jesus is king and reading John 3.16. Isn't that amazing? And they were like, yeah, that's cool. And I said, Ethan, do you think that most people in church are probably pretty excited that Kanye West made this album? Yeah, I bet everybody's really happy about it. Well, uh, <laughs> some of us say, well, let's just see where, let's see what Kanye is doing next week, right? Who knows what he's going to be doing next week? But you know, Romans 11 told us last week said, don't get proud. Don't become the older brother. Where are you going to be next week? <laughs> Do you know that? I don't, know where Con I don't know where Kanye is going to be next year. Where, uh, where's Matt going to be? Matt's got to run his race, and you've got to run your race. And for this moment in time, somebody's proclaiming the name of Jesus, that Jesus is king. That's a, that's a picture of transformation. That's a picture of what God can do with maybe what we would say the least likely. Have we forgotten that that's just what God does, that God rejoices in taking the unlikely? So tell me how you're, you may be unlikely and what God might want to do in you. It says, don't conform, but be transformed. A couple areas where maybe we, we have, and we could probably talk about this all day, but I, I won't. But, but what are some areas when we think about just concrete ways that maybe we as a culture, maybe we as a church culture have conformed to the world? I think one of those areas we've conformed to the world's thinking is regarding politics. Everybody kind of tenses up, oh man, politics, right? Tim Keller is a, a phenomenal pastor and author. Um, and he wrote a, 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 an article a while back that said, how do Christians fit in the two-party system? They don't. So should we be part of the political process? Sure. Should we care about politics? Yes. Should we care about the future of our country? Yes. Are some positions right and some positions wrong? Yes. But what has happened, and, and if, if you just, I mean, if, think about if, if the Christians you know were as passionate about Jesus as they were their political party. Can you imagine what would happen? How this world would be turned upside down? So, so, so should we care? Sure we should care, but we can't elevate politics uh, to the level of God. So if you consult Fox News or MSNBC before you consult God's word on an issue, you got a gospel problem. Uh, before, I mean, Rachel Maddow's opinion matters, Sean Hannity's opinion matters, but if that matters more than Jesus' opinion, we got a problem. And you can tell when some tragic thing happens, it's like people are just, the, the news story's posted, and then people are just waiting in the comment section just to pounce on whatever they're, whether it's left or right. And Paul's going to tell us in a minute to weep with those who weep. Man, our calling as gospel people is so much bigger than just saying, this is my camp. Beware of bending God's word to fit your politics. Our politics better be bending to fit God's word. You know, Daniel lived in Babylon, and, 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 he, and he prayed for Nebuchadnezzar, but he also spoke the truth to Nebuchadnezzar. He refused to be a puppet. He was a prophet. Don't, don't be a puppet to, po to political parties. Don't be a puppet. Be a prophet. Say, this is, you know, you're gonna, there's going to be times, if, if you're hanging on to God's word, there's going to be times that you don't feel like you have a home in any political camp. And that sh there should be times like that. If there's a political party out there that, that, that you believe everything they believe, we may have a problem. Houston? Sexuality. Oh, man, so let's get off the politics, right? So have, we, have we compromised in the area of sexuality? You know we have. The, the whole idea of, of proclaiming that 
that, that God loves sex and God created sex and, 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 he, he, and he loves it and he's for it, but God says that the place where, uh, where sex is meant is in a covenant relationship between a man and a wife, a, a, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. To, to affirm all that, it's like, man, are you guys in the Stone Ages? You know, uh, nobody believes that anymore. People, God believes that still. No matter, you know, the, the Centers for Disease Control, I mean, that's definitely not a Christian organization. They, they release statistics about cohabitating with one another before marriage and how the chances of divorce skyrocket. But we say, no, nah, I mean, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to do my own thing. I mean, I, I want the, I mean, even secular resources say, you know, this, the way we're living is not working. We've got broken sexuality. We've got a, a story where... Um, You've probably seen it, a custody battle between, right here in Texas between a, a husband and a, a wife and the wife's wanting the eight-year-old son to transition to become a, a, a girl and the husband's been fighting this. And these pictures are heartbreaking of this little, little boy that's dressed up. I mean, we've, we're off the map. And a lot of us in this room would say, yeah, man, I draw the line there, but, but, but God draws the line a long time before we get there. And we've been flirting around with that line for a long time. And God wants to be honored in our sexual relationships. We, we've conformed in the area of greed. Is it possible that followers of a Middle Eastern Messiah who never got more than a few miles from his home, who, ne- who had no place to lay his head, we've come to find our value in what we can accumulate? And we say we worship somebody who gave everything away. Have we conformed in the area of greed? We could keep going. Don't conform to this world. Be transformed. I, I read this last week, um, uh, 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 some of the charter statements of the Church of Satan. Never thought I would say those words, but um, at, at, in the Satanic Bible, at the beginning of it, there's these nine foundational statements, okay? And they say, Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. In other words, if it feels good, do it. Don't abstain from something. If it feels good, do it. Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. Church of Satan says, kindness, give kindness to people that deserve it. Don't waste it. I've heard people that call themselves Christians say that exact thing to me. Church of Satan says, Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Isn't it interesting how people that say we're all about God's word when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, we say, whoa, whoa, he didn't really mean that. Satan represents all the so-called sins as they lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. Church of Satan says sin leads to satisfaction. Man, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that would affirm every one of those statements. Don't conform. Be transformed. So members of God's family are marked by transformation. They're marked by worship. Worship fuels transformation. Next, members of God's family use the gifts God has provided. Let's move on. Verse 3, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, differ according to the grace given to us. 
excuse me, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Everywhere Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he says, use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teachings, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, uh, members of Christ, members of the family uh, of, of, of God, we're members, we're unified with Jesus and we're unified with one another. The, the word that Paul uses here is members. We're members of Christ. We're like body parts of Christ, and we're members of one another. And so he begins this by saying, have, have a sober judgment regarding your gifts. If God's gifted you somewhere, don't swell up in pride about it and say, man, look at how great I am with this. Be, just be humbly thankful that God gifted you with that. Also, don't swell up and refuse to use your gifts. Well, they don't need me over there. No, use, that's, that's pride too. Jump into the family and use your gifts. Don't pridefully assume you're the only Christian that God forgot to give any gifts to. The thing is, like, gifts, uh, spiritual gifts are discovered in community. The community relationships are the soil where transformation happens and where we discover our gifts. And so if we shrink church down to this one hour a week, most of us aren't ever going to use our gifts. If we shrink church down to this one hour a week, most of us are never going to have the opportunity to use our gifts. But the reality is church is, is... is meeting here, it's meeting house to house together in groups, it's serving somewhere together, and like we didn't as a church come up with that, like that's God's design. As we serve somewhere, we discover our gifts. As we're in community, we discover our gifts. Don't be afraid of looking foolish because you haven't honed your gifts yet. We're never going to develop them if we don't use them. Maybe you don't even know where they are, so jump in somewhere. And you'll, you'll discover. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not your gift. I mean, there's a lot of things that are hard. Um, you know, and, and, and just because you're not gifted somewhere doesn't mean the, the family doesn't need you. You know, there's never been a time, in, you know, in a house with four kids, there's times that the toilet has to be plunged. And there's never been a time when I've been plunging the toilet that I've said, man, this, I was made for this. Man, God created me for this moment. But you know what? I also can't say, hey, Sonda, God, I'm not feeling led to plunge the toilet right now. That's just not, that's not, that's not joy giving to me. I would get smacked so hard, I'd be out in the backyard. And yet in the house of God, we see a need and we say, mm, no, it's just really not, it's just really not my thing. Man, if there's sometimes a clue that something's your thing is the family needs it done. I think about Bruce and Maureen Hess that just go out and evangelize. They knock on doors, tell people about Jesus. They're gifted at it, but they've also developed that gifting. I think about Richard Faust who texts and encourages and exhorts and shares God's word. He shares scripture. I think about all of our kids that just pour their souls, all of our uh, leaders that pour their souls into kids. And, and I think about... Um, I think about the Greens who are incredibly hospitable people and just the list goes on and on and on. And the thing is like... I've never seen a church where such a high percentage of people use their gifts. I've never, I've never been anywhere where such a high percentage of people are using their gifts. But, but think about this with me. Like, if, if members of the body of Christ are bodily organs, like, would it make sense if I said, man, a really high percentage of my organs are working right now? Like, would that be something to brag about? Most of my organs are working today. Woo! Shouldn't all of them be, right? What would it look like if every man, woman, and child 
in community, discovered how God's wired you, and you jumped into the work. Man, we would blow the hinges off this town. And we'll fail each other along the way, too. And God's given us this incredible gift of forgiveness towards each other. You know, if I cut my finger off and set it over on the table and left it there, it would stink and it would rot. And that's what happens when we're disconnected from the body. You know, the most grisly, the most disturbing serial killer stories are the ones where the killer dismembered people, cut them up into pieces, dismembered. And yet, so many Christians are voluntarily dismembering themselves from the body of Christ. As if somehow you're going to get healthy or the, healthier or the body's going to get healthier if you're dismembered. We've got to remember what this is all about and imagine a church. Imagine what it could look like. Don't give up on the dream. I'm not going to. I hope you don't either. Last, members of God's family are characterized by godly fruit and the greatest fruit is love. Paul's going to close this passage out and he's going to describe love towards each other which is the greatest example to the world that, we're, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to describe love towards outsiders, living on mission. Members of God's family are characterized by mission. And he's going to, care, he's going to talk about love even towards our enemies. And, and so this is going to take some effort on our part. We've got to try. We've got to do some work to develop this. But really, none of us can just love this way just by trying hard. This is a kind of love that is developed in us as we worship God, as we present our bodies day in and day out to Christ in worship, as we live in community, as we walk those steps, what we find is by the Spirit of God, He's developing the character of Christ in us. Romans 12, 9, let, let, imagine a church like this. Let love be genuine, not hypocritical. Hate what's evil, hold on to what's good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in serving honor, showing honor. Can you imagine no, I'm going to pay for lunch. No, I'm going to pay for lunch. No, I'm, no, I'm, no after you, sir. No, after you. No, after you. Can you imagine? Let me wash your feet. No, I'm going to wash your feet. Outdo one another. Don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy, he said. Be fervent in spirit. Be enthusiastic. Be excited about God. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Don't just turn the lights off and hide, but look for opportunities to show hospitality. Look for opportunities to put yourself out there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. How many problems would be resolved just at, just at that just rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't do anyone evil for evil, but give thought to what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Probably means you'll bring him to repentance. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is describing not just principles, he's describing a person, one person, one person who lives those principles perfectly. And that person is Jesus. And if you're a Christian, that person lives inside of you. And if you're in fellowship with that person, you will begin to be characterized by the list that we just read. And man, don't you want to know that person? 
Don't you want to be that person? Don't you want to be surrounded with that person? Yep, well, if this church gets that way, I'll sure become a member. Oh. <laughs> takes all of us. takes all of us. So are you, are you dismembered from the body? Is it time to remember? Do you know Jesus? Is the one who embodies that living in you? Is your next step to follow him? Is your next step to follow him in baptism? Is your next step to commit to church, this church family? Or do you need prayer? We're going to have a time. The band's coming. We're going to stand. If there's a decision you need to make, come down here.